I know last week I've been, uh, I was talking about peace. And I said this, I said, before peace, there is always war. There's always a battle. There's always conflict, good, conquering evil. God, of course, triumphing over Satan, the evil one. And we looked at Jesus's birth. And in Luke 2, we would have to say, where on earth is the array of armies? Do you remember this? Because there it says that a company of, there is an army of angels that began to sing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And as we looked at Revelation 12, what we did discover is there actually was, there at the birth of Jesus, there actually was an army arrayed, not only of angels, but also Satan and his demons. And it says there that Satan had swung his tail and pulled a third of the stars out of the sky, and they and he was there waiting to devour Christ the moment he was born. Now, we see a little bit of this played out in, in Matthew 2, where Satan stirs up the heart of Herod. But could we bring these lights on right here? Could we bring these lights on? Someone go back there. I'm not seeing Sam. Could someone go back there and turn these lights on? Because I know my poor eyesight's not going to be able to read from this. My notes are the, the Bible too well without that. Um, and that there is a battle that is so very present. And we came to this conclusion, not only at Jesus' birth, but at the cross and resurrection, where in Colossians 2.15, it says that he, um, that he paraded the enemies about by the and subjected them and humiliated them by the power of the cross. And I'm paraphrasing. And, and I suggest to you that whenever God wants to bring peace into a situation, peace into your life, into your home, into your business, if you're a business owner, that, the, that what must always precede that is battle. Now, I can remember as a kid that for some reason, fights they followed me everywhere I went. When I was in my home, and I, I grew up with four brothers and a sister that could, by the way, beat me up, and there were a lot of fights in my home. I can remember so many times that uh, we, we understood this principle of peace, but our motto was peace by pounding. You understand what I'm getting at? And whenever my brothers would do something that I didn't like, if I'm going to bring peace to this situation and get what I want... I've got to pursue it by pounding. And, and we would, you know, just like in the movies, when they're trying to escape, they run down the alleys and they pull the garbage cans down and we would run through our house just like that, pulling items down and we would leave the house a wreck as we are running away and as the other is in pursuit to give the pounding. Many times we would run up into the upstairs bathroom and lock the door. Other times if, if someone was in there, that wouldn't be too cool. So we would go into my brother's room at the end of the hall and we would shut the door and there was a, a, a desk that my dad had built. It went all the way down the length of the wall, stopped about three feet from the door, just, you know, or, or two and a half feet, whatever it is, but just, wide, just long enough to be able to sit with your back against the wall and put your foot up against the desk, and they could not come through. And they would, we would pound, and I many times was on the other side of that door, pounding away. And so our motto was peace by pounding. I'm going to suggest to you that that's absolutely not what we're talking about here. 
that if you want to see peace in your home, that doesn't mean you, you achieve it by the pounding. It doesn't mean as parents that we rule with the iron fist and anyone who steps out of line, I'm coming after you. There is a way to achieve peace because this battle that precedes it has more to do with Satan than it does with people because our struggle, remember, is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers and the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so our battle, Jesus' battle, Joseph's battle, was not against Herod, who is coming to seek their life, and the angel had to wake him up in the middle of the night, by the way, totally inconvenienced him and said, get up right now and take the child, and you need to flee with your wife, of course, to Egypt. And they were there, we don't know how, how long, but God rescued them, and, and so the point there is that this battle that I'm suggesting to you that always precedes peace is spiritual in nature. Not only, though, is it with Satan, but it's also with sin and with our flesh. You want peace in your home? You're going to probably have to deal with yourself first. Now, as we went through the book of Romans... We took, what, about three months or so going through the book of Romans. We, we didn't do it verse by verse. We did it more topically. But here's what we discovered. That when we were lost, we were lost in our sins. We were enslaved to our sins. Sin had the mastery over us and bound us. We were actually unable to follow after God because of that sin addiction that we had. We constantly chose sin over God. Though, to be honest with you, I put on a really good front up until I was 14. I went to church every week. My dad was a choir director. We went to church not just once a week, but two or three times a week. Of course, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday night. But it wasn't until I was 14 that that battle that had been waging for my soul was finally won and I surrendered my heart to Christ. I was lost in darkness, and I was actually, Scripture says in Colossians 1, I was part of, I was a member, a card-carrying member of the kingdom of darkness, and God had to rescue me, just like he rescued each of you, and brought you into the kingdom of light, brought you into the kingdom of the Son, in whom there is redemption, the forgiveness of sins, it says. But that was the dominion, the domain, the kingdom of Satan and darkness. But he brought me out of that. I was dead in my transgressions and sins, Ephesians 2 says. And as we learned these things, we realized that we were prisoners in our sin, by our sin, empowered by our sin, and God needed to come and rescue to deliver us. And so that's what we learned. That is the first battle for you to have peace with God. He needs to win that battle for your soul, and it is a battle over the control and the power of sin, that Christ came as the bondage breaker, Isaiah 61. He came as the bondage breaker to free us, not just forgive us of our sins, but now empower us to live according to his will by the power of his spirit in us. And that's the chains that he is, he is broken, and he is in this process regularly of breaking these chains. But at 14 for me, that was the battle. It actually says here in Romans chapter 5, you don't need to bring there because this is not our, the text that we're going to be chewing on this morning, but it says, therefore, chapter 5, verse 1 in Romans, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom 
we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. You stand in God's grace. That is not just saving grace. That is not just grace as opposed to works. This is the power of God. Grace, everything that God has that I do not but desperately need. That's right. That is God's grace. It's not just for salvation, though it's got to start there, church. It actually started before that in which the Spirit convicted us of sin. That's God's grace. But he brought us in, by faith into this place in which we now stand in his grace. You, church, believers in Jesus, you stand in his grace. And that grace is his empowerment, his enablement to rise up in which you want peace. You got it in your relationship with Christ, but you're going to find that throughout your life you're going to battle for peace. Because the enemy, he didn't just decide to leave you alone when you surrendered your heart to Christ. Actually, he put a bullseye on your back. And every demon that follows him, they see that, they see that uh, bullseye, and they have a, they have a, a bead on you. And, and I'm saying this to discourage you. This is just reality. There is battle. There is warfare. The end of which is peace. The end of which is encouragement and hope. And we're going to be looking at this this morning. <laughs> we want to look at the battleground in trials. You remember maybe in the movie, The Lord of the Rings, there's other movies, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a common phrase that's used when the armies are arrayed and you see the commander-in-chief, maybe the king with his uh, big sword waving in the, in the air and he's riding up and down. Maybe he's taking and he's, he's tapping the swords as he goes down. You know what I'm talking about, right? And he says... When, when he blows the trumpet to charge uh, or to, as the enemy is coming against them, rather, he says, stand your ground. Stand your ground. Why would a commander like this, a, even a king, say to his troops, stand your ground? And here is the reason why. There is a tendency in us when we encounter any kind of problem, specifically pain, we want to avoid it. God actually put that in us. You put your hand on a hot stove, what are you going to do? Are you going to leave it there? No, you're going to pull it away because there's pain and there's this natural inbred tendency for every single one of us to avoid pain. The army commander, the king, knows this and he wants to dispel fear. Stand your ground. We've got this we, we, we have a strategy. Let the strategy unfold. And I would say to you today, the enemy comes against us in the midst of trials. He has a purpose that is contrary to God's purpose. And this morning, God is saying to you, stand your ground. There is something in us that wants to just get out of this problem. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't pray that God deliver us from evil, deliver us from this problem, deliver us from this potential pain. But I am going to suggest to you that God may have a different purpose. Many times he doesn't just deliver us from the problem, but he delivers us through the problem. Okay? Turn with me now, if you will, to Psalm, 30, Psalm 68. <laughs> Psalm 68, we're going to be reading verses... 19 and 20. 
And I think we're going to see these two things unfold for us in these two verses. God has different ways of accomplishing his will through these problems. But regardless, his charge to us is stand your ground. Many times I, before I read this passage, that tendency in us to just want to get out of problems, to avoid them, to pray, God, deliver me from this problem. And when God doesn't deliver us the way we're praying, the way we're hoping, expecting, believing, many times we get angry with them, we get discouraged with them because there is a way that we want God to handle our problem. And God has this tendency to want to do things his way more than he wants to do it our way. Right, church? And so we want to get out of these situations. Now, what happens when God wants to take us through the problem? And we talked about this a little bit when we looked at Romans 8 and the fact that God wants to display his glory in us. We're going to look at it a little bit deeper this morning. And I've entitled the message, Turning Trials to Tributes. Psalm 68, verse 19, praise be to the Lord, to our, to God, our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Our God is a God who saves from, from the sovereign Lord comes escape from death. Now I'm going to suggest to you that we see that, that the heart of God many times is to deliver us from the pain. Many times it is to step into our situation and pull us out of it. And I think we should pray to that end. From, he, from this verse here, it's the, we see that when he says, from the sovereign Lord comes escape from death. Sometimes God wants to deliver us from the situation. But if you look at the preceding verse, what does it say? It says, who daily bears our burdens. And there are times in which God wants to step into this trial that you're going through and help you shoulder that difficulty, help you struggle with it. Remember in the analogy that I used, what was it last week or the week before, maybe the week before that, in which when you pick up a couch, it is absolutely, well, I don't want to say absolutely impossible because some of you said you managed to do it. Brute beast you are. But the truth is to pick up a couch, not just a chair, a couch, it takes two people. One person on one end and one on the other. And, and, and the challenge there was, hey, you know what? Let's allow God to do the heavy lifting here. But we, God wants to step in and he wants to help shoulder these difficulties for us. And here we see it when, it's, when he says, who daily bears our burdens. God's desire is to help us bear these burdens. Now, again, I do not in any way want to suggest that the main thing that God desires to do is simply have you go through the trial, put a smile on your face, and, you know, suck it up, so to speak. God will do that many times. And that actually is going to be the focus here today. But church, God does delight in rescuing us from our problems. Look at the previous psalm. Go, go to Psalm 66. And this is where we're going to camp out for just a bit. Psalm 66. 
He says here in verse 5, come and see what God has done. Isn't that a song that we sing, Noel, Noel, come and see what God has done? It says, how awesome his works in man's behalf. Now listen to this. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in him. And right here we see a picture of of this uh, well-known hundreds of years old story that's been handed down to them of how God delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh in which they had the sea on one side and Pharaoh on the other. And God, but through the cloud, the pillar of, of fire that was in the cloud at night, just keeping the enemy at bay. And then Moses lifted up the staff. God parted the Red Sea. And it says that they walked across on dry ground. And that, that truly is significant. When God does a miracle, he does it awesomely, church. He could have just pushed the water aside, and guess what you would have had, they would have had to walk through? A lot of rocks, which would be impossible for carts, and I'm sure they had plenty of carts, to, to be drugged through, and mud in which the wheels and people's feet would get stuck in. But no. Obviously, the, the, God chose a place where there would be a convenient path between rocks on the bottom of the, of the sea, and it would be dry. And they walked across on dry ground. Now, you remember the rest of the story about how God caused the army to, of Pharaoh to be drowned. But that was an example of God delivering them out of that situation. Did, did they have to, did, did they fear? Did they have to believe and trust God? Absolutely. But God delivered them out of that situation. Well, let, let's move on here for a moment. It says, they pass through the waters on foot, come and let us rejoice in him. He rules forever by his power. His eyes watch the nations. Let not the rebellious rise up against him. Praise our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us, wait a second, you brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. Are you aware of the Hebrew word shalom is generally translated peace in the Old Testament? But that word shalom has a much broader understanding definition than just peace. It actually is translated well-being. It's translated abundance or it's translated prosperity. Now that's not the word that we see at the end of this verse, but it is a synonym of shalom. And this, this, this is actually what we're talking about here. God's peace is more than just relax, no battle. No, God desires abundance for us. In his presence, there are joys forevermore. God desires abundance for us. God desires more than just enough because that's the Father's heart. And so his goal for his people is to bring them to a, a place or a land of abundance. Now, it says in, in verse 6, when he's talking about the passing through the Red Sea, he says, they. But when he is talking later on in verse 12, he's using the words we. 
And he's doing this because they are, whoever they is, we don't know exactly who this is, is this while they're in Babylon and the uh, captivity in Babylon, we don't know. But we do know this, they are going through a personal experience, much as you are going through your own personal experience, trial, difficulty, struggle, wondering, okay, God, I've been praying, and I'm wondering when you're going to show up, when are you going to deliver me from my problem here? That's the we. That's the author. Here I am. But I am reminded of they. I'm reminded, God, when you delivered them from their struggle. I, I emphasized this when I was reading it. This is not an accusation that he makes to God in verse 12. Rather, starting with verse 11. You brought us into prison. You laid burdens on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. That almost sounds like an accusation, but we know that it's not because what we see here is God's purpose as they go through the water, as they go through the fire to bring them to a place of abundance. And God has a purpose in this struggle, whatever the struggle might be. It obviously has something to do with people when it says they, they, they ride over our heads, that there's this sense of they seem to have defeated us, brought us into prison, into slavery. We don't know exactly the circumstance, but what a struggle that this psalmist is, is going through, and not just him, but those with him. God, we feel defeated. But he recognizes God is the one who has allowed this, but he has done it for a purpose because they apparently had to go through this and go through the fire and the water in order to be brought to a place of abundance. Now, what is this fire and this water? Maybe you remember several sermons ago, we actually touched on a phrase just like that, but it was found in a different passage. Turn with me. Keep your fingers here, but turn with me to Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, verse 2. He says in verse 2, when you pass through the waters, this is a promise that God through Isaiah is giving to the people. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Church, let me remind you again, though God may be sovereignly overseeing all that you're going through. He has an ultimate purpose to bring abundance, shalom, to bring peace into your lives. But there's got to be this battle. And he has a purpose for this. The battle may be against Satan himself. 
The battle may be against your own sin and your flesh and longing for that, but attitudes, wrong attitudes that God needs to adjust, and he's got to bring you through the fire and through the water. But the fire will not burn you. The water will not sweep you away, even though it's a raging river. And his promise is, is sure, it's, it's, it's grounded in truth, and in God himself who promises this. Whatever trial you're going through, you know that God has your back. You know that he is going to help you bear that burden. And he has a plan. He has a sovereign purpose, a goal in mind. And and you may not be able to see that goal, but understand his goal will always be to bring you to that place of peace. To bring you to that place of greater maturity in Christ. To bring you to that place of strengthened and refined and and greater faith. And he's going to do this as you stand in his grace. Right, church? His grace. So what kind of struggles might you be going through? You may be going through struggles in your home. Zach and I were just talking this past week, and and, uh, he was sharing with me, it's just amazing how with his kids, for some reason, it's just one situation after another in which they're getting sick. He or Kate are up with them hours at, at night. And you just feel, and how many of you know exactly what I'm talking about when your kids keep you awake for hours? I don't do well with that type of stuff. That's, I'm just confessing to you, church. I don't do well with that kind of stuff. When I don't get my sleep, I am grumpy. I don't like it. I feel ir- easily irritated. I mean, what do you do in that situation? God, where are you in this situation right now? And I'm sure Zach, because I know his heart, is God helped me to be the best dad ever. And I don't want to commend Zach because um, a lot of times, you know, Kate will come over, especially now when she's pregnant, not feeling well. She comes over. Zach then at the end of the day comes over. And the first thing he does is he embraces his wife. And, you know, as we're kind of, okay, do your thing here. And, and then he turns to his kids and he's loving on his kids and they're squealing and they're loving it. And he has daddy time with his, with his kids. But I tell you what, being a dad, being a mom as well, but I've never been a mom, so I'm speaking from experience. Being a dad at times, you get stripped of every ounce of selfishness if you let him. And he refines you. He, as he says here, he tests us. When, when, you know, when you've got four daughters, our, our boy came at the end, when you've got four daughters, and in one night, they are all vomiting in their long hair, in their clothes, onto the floor, in the bed, and it happens all night with four of them. I'm sure I was a bit on the grumpy side the next day. But you see, it's in those struggles in which, I tell you what, I just felt the refining fire of God in my life. I thought I was a pretty mature Christian before I got married. I really did. 
It was a pleasant delusion. It lasted for a while. Um, but God eventually woke me up and showed me just how immature in some areas I really was and that God needed to ground and pound that selfishness out of my life and confession here, he's still doing that. But the truth is, for every single one of us, God wants Zach, God wants to bring peace, more and more peace in your home. And, and you are a part of, and Kate, you're a part of God, God's instruments in raising up a next generation that are going to be warriors in his kingdom, in prayer, and in speaking, and prophesying the word of the Lord. And God wants to empower his saints, and raising godly children is so crucial, but he's going to take you through the fire and the water, okay? And it's through that time in which... The next day, in particular, when things happen and you've gotten like two hours of sleep and you just want some downtime. You want some downtime in bed, actually, but you just want some downtime. And I, I would go off to work, and the type of work that I did at that time was very arduous. I'd come home. I'm tired after, 90, after being in weather that's 95 degrees over top pavement, which is probably 115, whatever. And I'm drained, and I come home, and you know what? My wife greets me with the children, and of course, I'm hugging and loving on my wife, but you know, now it's it's my turn. I get to be with the kids, and she needs a bit of a downtime, and is getting ready for dinner, etc. But I tell you what, there are times in which you get refined right there. You're tired. You're not poised for success. At least you don't feel that way, and... Now you just have to say in those moments in which children are being children, you just say, okay, God, right now, I just need you to deal with my flesh. I, I am poised to get angry right now and to lash out, to hurt, and that is not my heart and that certainly isn't your heart. And so right now, God, I just need you, Jesus, to live through me by faith, standing in this grace. And every single one of us who know what I'm talking about here, in which you, you, you feel like you're a failure, you feel as if you are simply fodder for the enemy, and he is beating you up, he is setting you up, and <laughs> you feel like giving up, right? But it's right there as you're standing in his grace, in which you are coming to that place of feeling completely stripped of me in which you are having to totally rely on his grace in which he is testing and refining to take you through he's doing it as he takes you through the fire and water but for what purpose to bring you to a land Let's look at how he began verse 5 once more, okay? Come and see what God has done. Okay, psalmist, what has God done for you? Well, let me first tell you about how he brought us into prison, how he laid burdens on our backs, granted through the enemy, but sovereignly God permitted this. And he allowed men to ride over our heads. That, come and see what God has done. You think that's the focal point of his testimony? 
when he says, come and see what God has done. And then he follows that with this. He says, how awesome his works in man's behalf. I mean, is this something that you would want to invite people to look at? Look at how I was crushed. Look at how self in me was decimated. Look at how I fell on my face. Look at how these, I encountered all of these problems. Is that his testimony? But many times, that is the testimony in our lives because we have not apprehended that grace. There is now at that moment a battle that precedes peace. There is shalom, abundance. There is that battle that's taking place in our hearts. Our mind and our heart is the battleground. Satan, through temptations, etc., through these trials, is waging war against us in our lives. See, the testimony for the psalmist is how he allowed God, and I would venture to say not just he, but the we that was he's mentioned here in verse 12, how we allowed God to test us and refine us. And I'm going to tell you what, in the testing and refining, there's going to be some failure, church. I don't like it when I fail. I don't like it when I don't rely on God's grace in my life. But as a human, my tendency is to not rely on his grace, to say, God, I got this, when God's heart is no Mike, I got this. But you see, as we surrender to his goals and his purposes and his provision of grace in our lives in those times of testing, going through the fire and the water, so we see that then as a phrase, not that they literally went through fire and water necessarily, but they went through these this cauldron. They went through the, the temptation, the struggle with trials. But you see, he's inviting them to come and see what God is, has done. Because what he's showing them is not the trials and the struggles, but the other end. He's not showing them necessarily the battleground, but he's showing them the peace, the shalom that God brought them to a place of abundance. And so here's my my challenge to every single one of us, the trials that you're going through. I want you to have the mentality, I am going through this trial. Praise God if he delivers me out of this trial. That's our, t avoid the pain. That's what I want. That's how I'm going to pray. And you know what, church? That's how I'm going to continue to pray. I, th I think that's how throughout scripture people prayed, but there were times in which God chose not to deliver them out of it, but to deliver them through it. And when he does that, and he refines and he tests. And we are now called upon to not rely on our own strength, but his. We now allow him to do what God does best, to work miracles on our behalf. See, this is his promise. And God never fails. It's just that I get in the way of God trying to do what he's really trying to do and bring me into that place of abundance. Give me a moment as I'm finding my place here. God wants to build testimonies, tributes to his name. 
bring honor to his name. So that when people hear of the tragedy, even tragedies, and I'm choosing that word carefully, in our lives, tragedies can come to Christians, church. That even in the, that, that when we, when we go through tragedies, God has a goal and a purpose that he invites us into, and that ends up being our testimony. That ends up being our tribute to him. So we, when we're going through these trials, our goal is, I want to be able to say with the Psalms, hey, you know what? People come and see what God has done. And many times it's not just, oh, come and see how God raised me up from a guy in the mailroom to CEO of the company. Those things are, God can do that, okay? For Daniel, he was a peon in the Babylonian kingdom, empire. God raised him up, even above Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but God raised him up so that the purpose of Darius, the king, the the, the the next king of the next empire, the Persian, the Median Persian Empire, he wanted to make Daniel second in command. How about Joseph? Joseph was in prison. Pharaoh raised him up to be the vizier, the prime minister, if you will, the second in command of Egypt. God can do this, but many times God takes us through struggles and difficulties I mean, it's, it's great to say, you know what? I just apply biblical principles in finance, and now I'm a millionaire. Well, that's great. But what about 99.999% of the other people that don't become millionaires, okay? That God takes them through struggle and trial, and, and along the way they blow it and they mismanage finances. They're repenting. God has to come in and, and make things right. But that is his promise, and that's what he desires to do. Come and see this thing that God has done. No, I'm not a millionaire. No, you're not a mil any millionaires, by the way. No, God, you're not a millionaire, and God hasn't blessed you to be a millionaire. May God bless some of you to be millionaires one day. That would be awesome. You know, and you can use all of that money to be able to build the kingdom, right? But you know what? Many of us aren't going to be able to do that. And many of us are going to go through trials and struggles, and we're trying to make ends meet, and we're coming at the end of the month, and we're saying, okay, God, not only am I not a millionaire, but I can't even pay the bills at the end of my month. What are you going to do? And many times, God doesn't just throw $1,000 your way. I have testimonies, though, in which he did. Those have happened in my life, out of the blue. Thank you, Lord. But many times he brought me through those trials. Let me give you an illustration here. You need a car. And you're deciding between a $6,000 car and a $5,000 car. <laughs> you have five thousand. You have six thousand dollars. You could spend it on this, and that six thousand dollar car, <clears throat> it may not run quite as well as the five thousand dollar one, but it's got it's got all the the toys and the bells and the whistles, and it's very attractive. You like the color. You like the fact that it's a two door. Yeah, you're single. Uh, two door. You, you didn't get that one, did you? Um, it's a two door, but you like that one, and so you purchase that one. And within a year, 
you know, you say, thank you, Lord, for your blessing of abundance. And, and God is not opposed to luxury. God is not opposed to blessing us. Many people throughout this age, uh, John Wanamaker, just picking some name out of the blue and, and from Philadelphia, and God raised him up and blessed him with a lot of money, but he was plugged into a good church, and he, he gave regularly through that. Arthur Tappan, during the abolitionist movement of the 1700s, uh, 1800s, excuse me, uh, God used him to, through his factory to bless the kingdom of God, and he constantly poured money into the kingdom of God. God can bless us, all right? So we choose the $6,000 car, and within one year, it breaks down. And guess what? It needs, yes, $1,000 worth of repairs. And you don't have that $1,000. And now you begin to revisit this situation. He had a choice between a $5,000 car and a $6,000 car. And I'm not saying this happens. This is an illustration, church. But God begins to show you something. He begins to show you that when you were praying, okay, God, the $6,000 car or the $5,000 car. God, the $6,000 car or the $5,000. Which one do you want me to get? The $6,000. God says, I heard you. Which one? Now, here's what you discover. This is what God begins to show you. Your heart was so set on that $6,000 car, you could not hear him speak in that still, small voice. You know what? For you, Mike, I want you to get the $5,000 car. And in all of our excitement about how God is going to bless me with this six, I, I have $6,000. Of course, I can afford it but you couldn't hear because you were so excited about this. Now, as you're revisiting this decision, you say, you know what, God? I am so sorry that I, I feel like you're showing me right now I should have purchased the $5,000 car. Hindsight's 2020. I get that. God, would you please forgive me? It, it captured my heart. I realized I was, in that moment, I was not led by your spirit but, what, but by what Mike Curtis was. Would you forgive me? But I now have a problem. I need $1,000. And I need you to show me what I'm to do. Would you please provide me with $1,000? Church, can I tell you this? God can do that. Even though we make a mistake, God can still come through and bless you with $1,000, a Christmas bonus, whatever form it comes in, God can do that because he loves you. In this situation, though, and it, it's my illustration, so I can change the story as I want, all right? God doesn't do that. Three months go by, and you're without a car. And you're getting calls from the shop. You know, I, I'm your friend, but the car's been on my lot for three months. I, I need you. Do you want it repaired? Should, can you tow it? Well, I don't have the money to have it towed back to my house yet. And, and, and he says, okay, I, but by the end of this month, I need something to happen. Your back's up against the wall. You're wondering, okay, God, where are you in all of this? Now, here's what's happened. At the beginning of those three months, since you needed a car, God did bless you with it. A friend loaned you an extra car. may not be the best in the world. certainly is not the $6,000 car that you once had. It's now sitting in the guy's lot. But it's a car. It takes you to work and back. 
And in the meantime, you're working extra hours. You're trying to earn extra money. And after three months, you have $1,000. And now you pay for it. And you tell the guy, you know what? In two weeks, I'll have the money. Don't worry about it. I'll have that money at that time, and I can pay you. So go ahead and fix the car. You know, go. You now go back in prayer, and you're wrestling. You're saying, God, you know, I, I've heard some testimonies from this brother or this sister, and you you bless them with a thousand dollars. And and is this some form of punishment of me? And God is trying to minister to you and say, you know what? No, I, I am not seeking to punish you. I am taking you through this fire in which you have to work hard because I am trying to build something in you. Maybe it's the value of money. Maybe it's just patience. Maybe it's just a different perspective on how God is working through this. Or maybe it's simply so that when you're in prayer at that very moment, you refrain from accusing God of wrongdoing. You refrain from that little temper tantrum that children can have when they get jealous. And, you know, Jane over here got this, and mommy and daddy, why can't I have that too? Your kids ever come? You know, he gets to eat sugar bombs, why can't I? And, and so they're, they're pulling the sugar bombs off the shelf or they're going through the grocery market, okay? And, and no, you know what? I, I just need you to trust daddy. And you don't say raisin bran or some really nutritious cereal, but you understand what I'm getting. And God wants our best. Sometimes it's just not what he has given someone else. So what, how do you respond? Are you jealous or are you envious? Do you say, God, why did you bless this person and not me? I, I feel rejected right now. And I'm going to encourage you, if that's where you're at right now, and you're struggling, and you're wondering, God, have you just kind of left me here? Why have you blessed my, my best friend? but you're not blessing me. God wants you to come to that place in which you will one day be able to say, come and see what God has done for me. Because it says here, the awesome works that he did in verse 6, come, let us rejoice in him. In verse 12, you let men ride over our heads, we went through the fire and water. You brought us to a place of abundance and then skipping down in verse 11. Come and listen, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. And God wants to take your trials and turn them into tributes. God wants to take the very thing, the difficulty, the fire and water that he's bringing you through and he is bringing you through this. It is not an accident. And as he brings you through this, he is seeking to bring you to a place of abundance and that is the tribute that God wants to bring about in your life for him. That is the testimony that he's wanting to build in your life, but we have to allow him to do it without the temper tantrum. Been there, done that? Temper tantrums, anybody? Absolutely. Oh, man. And I say, God, forgive me. And here is the amazing thing, church. God forgives not only does he forgive, but he doesn't just, he doesn't kick us to the curb. That's the lie of the enemy. God wants to bring us still to a place of abundance. Shalom, peace. If we were to, let's do that for a moment, but in Ephesians chapter 6, where it says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That passage right there, Ephesians chapter 6, putting on the full armor of God. <coughs> Excuse me. I want us to just look at, I'm in the process of turning to it. I believe it's verse 12. Chapter 6. And in verse 13, excuse me, 13, after he's talked about this struggle that's not against flesh and blood, but it's spiritual forces of evil, he says in verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Church, stand your ground. Don't be moved. Allow God to do exactly what he wants to do. Stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, and what is the very first, and I don't believe that this is just simply accidental or coincidental. The very first thing he says in putting on the full armor of God is this. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The very first thing when you're going through the fire and the water, the very first thing that the enemy, the devil, the demon, whatever wants to do is speak lies. He's the father of lies. He's going to speak lies. Where is God now? Hmm, yeah, that's right. You know what? Where is God now? People walking over my head, as the psalmist says. I'm going through a lot of fire and, and water here. It's going to sweep me away. And, and what if? And what if God doesn't come through for me? And, and what if God doesn't provide the thousand dollars? What if God is not faithful? Hang on. Hang on. What is the truth? The truth is God is always, always faithful. That is the core, the very nature of who God is, and God cannot contradict himself. That is who your God is, church. And he will always see us through the fire and water. Because his goal is not to just punish you. It's not to just bring discipline in our life. Though he will do these things, it is always to bring us to that place of abundance. Some Christians truly do not believe that God wants them to have abundance. And, and I'm, you know me, I am not a prosperity gospel preacher. That is anathema to the word of God. But sometimes we tend to throw the baby out with the bath. Sometimes we hear God desires to bless and we think, ah, you know what? That's just like the prosperity gospel preachers on TV. Throw that one out. Wait a second. What about the Jabez prayer? People didn't just pull that one out of the blue. It's embedded in genealogy. Maybe that's why so many have not seen it. But literally it says, blessing, bless me. Are you afraid of God's blessing? That, that, that is where God wants to bring you to that shalom, that peace, that prosperity. And it may not be counted with dollars and cents, church. You know that? But I tell you what, I'm not a millionaire. But I tell you what, I, I feel like I'm the most blessed man in the world. Not only has he given me a wife that is absolutely beyond measure amazing. He has given me five amazing children. 
And as I come into the year 2018, and I look over the year in which it was possible that one of my daughters could have died through this 30-minute operation that took six hours because of complications. When I see that how God has given uh, my daughters uh, in the workplace promotions and how he has allowed them favor and how I see them doing so well and getting honors and, and my son and, and Sarah Joy doing well in school and, and growing most importantly, in their faith and, and imparting uh, their very lives to the teens in their group. And by the way, teens, we do have a meeting afterwards. Don't forget that at one o'clock. But my commendations to you, we, there's like eight, nine teen leaders, and you lay down your life, you give, you serve, you pray, you fast, you, uh, you're amazing. You know, when we do evangelism, it's the teens and the teen leaders generally that go out with us. Now, Sarah, awesome. You come out like every time we go out. And be praying for Sarah, by the way, because she's going to be doing the gospel presentation at the, uh, at the block party. But you know what? Uh, we have awesome team leaders. And Jim and, and Shine, they're a part of, of that team. And I just step back and I say, God, thank you so much for what you have done in my family. That is my abundance. The family here that God has blessed me with. That is my abundance. I hear testimonies from you guys. And, and I, I try to, to listen and, and I rejoice in, in this. Um, so tell me, what is it that God has been speaking to you and been doing in you uh, so that you're, you're a part of Powerline? And it, it's not... Pastor, since you're talking to me, Pastor Mike, it's just your sermons. You know, God just speaks. And I hope that God does speak to your heart. But invariably, this is what God has just ministered through the body of Christ to me here at Paraline so much. God is here and he ministers to people and my life has been changed. Awesome. That's God's goal. The trials and the fire and the water that you're going through let me encourage you, there's a purpose in all of this. It's a good purpose, and it is that place of abundance. But the enemy, while you're going through it, the very first thing he's going to do, he's going to attack you with lies. He wants you to doubt God. He wants you to turn from God. I know of too many people, Christians or not, I, I don't know, but they certainly seem to be Christians. They've been baptized. I had even baptized him in water. They had professed Christ. For some of them, for some of them, I have stepped back in utter amazement of how quickly the devil came in. And on two occasions, I am aware of that immediately after they were baptized in water, immediately after they gave their hearts to Christ and demonstrated their salvation and being rescued from sin, sins forgiven in, in water baptism, they walked away from they pursued the world. Satan began to lie to them immediately, and they believed the lies. I don't know where they're at today, spiritually, but they walked away. This is Satan's goal. He wants us to doubt God's truth. Church, buckle around your waist, that belt of truth. 
the very first thing that you put on, on in order to stand your ground. Who is God? What does scripture say? Never be moved from that. Not ever. Can you stand with me? My friends, you serve a God who is so in love with you, has such awesome plans and goals and purposes for your life, who is 100% for you. He has your back and he's in your corner. You serve a God who is willing to lay down his life in order to rescue you. He set aside his glory and stepped down into this life, and he was willing to suffer God himself to shoulder the temptations and the struggles and the hunger and the thirst and everything that it means to be a human. He took that upon himself. God did, because he loved you so much. But even then, he had a goal. And that goal was the cross, the resurrection, and eventually being seated at the right hand of the Father in which we too are seated with him in the heavenly realms. You serve a God who will never give up on you. You serve a God who when you're going through the water and fire, he tells you this, I will never leave you or forsake you. You serve a God who says that if you will keep me first, seek first the kingdom of God in my righteousness, he says, I will add all of these things to you. That is the God you serve. That is the God who will never give up on you, though we at times may give up on him. That is the heart of God. He is faithful and he is true. Let's trust him. Church, let's again stand our ground in this grace that is ours. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for your truth. Thank you that you are faithful and loving. You are like a daddy to us, God. You so freely forgive. You rejoice over us with singing. Your heart is for us and not against us. you have a purpose, and it's to bring us to that place of abundance. Father, we just realize that there is going to be conflict. There's going to be sin, and there's going to be flesh in me that's going to fight. But for you to bring that peace and that abundance and that prosperity, God, just strip me from me. Strip the selfishness away. Strip the bad attitudes from me, God. Strip away the anger, the hurt that should not be there. And would you right now minister peace to our hearts? Truth of who you are, this amazingly loving Father, minister that truth to our hearts right now, God. And take us through this fire. Take us through this water that will not sweep us away and bring us to that place of abundance. And then put that testimony on our lips 
Come and see what my God has done. We lay our hearts before you, God. Shape us, mold us, test us, refine us so that we become more and more like you, Jesus. Please. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.